think they're trying to subtly tell me something with this. Uh, In case you really, if you don't know, uh, we participate in Operation Christmas Child, and the boxes that are up here are meant to represent just the ones that are from our church, and then there's more from around the community, but it's normally we won't have, we're not building a wall, uh, but this is, this is there for that reason. Um, uh, We are continuing on in our study of the letter of Titus, if you've been with us uh, in past weeks, you know we're looking through this letter, studying through this letter, and uh, it's been so good to think about um, God's blueprint that he, he gave us through the letter that Paul wrote to Titus. Titus was like his uh, apprentice, this young man in the ministry, and Paul writes him this letter to tell him, this is how you do church. He's, he's, he's going uh, to lead this church on an island, the largest of the Greek islands in the Mediterranean Sea, and there's people on this island uh, that do not know God's ways of doing things. And uh, we learn from the New Testament that they had the gospel. Uh, they, they, at Pentecost, there were Cretans there that heard the gospel, believed. They repented toward God and placed their faith in Jesus as the Messiah. They go back to the island, and they're sharing the gospel. They have the gospel. However, it becomes clear in this letter that it didn't mean that they knew how to do church. They didn't understand how to uh, disciple the next generation and how to have a healthy church family. So uh, Paul writes uh, Titus this letter to explain all that. And, it, and, and we see in the letter, just a, a review of the outline of the letter, it starts with committed believers. We see that in Paul. We see that in Titus. These were committed believers. You know, a lot of times we think of missionaries and pastors, how someone comes and plants a church. It's that, that kind of idea. But they're committed to Christ, and it really begins with that. Uh, it begins with committed believers. And then Paul goes straight into the leadership of the church. It must be led by qualified men. He talks about pastors, elders, bishops, these, this office where, where these men are meant to serve the church in leading the church, and they got to be qualified men. And then in chapter 2, he opens up with discipleship. And, and relational discipleship. This is how men and women are meant to disciple one another, to encourage one another, to, uh, you know, train one another, you could think. This is what needs to happen. It's a requirement in the church. It, it's got to be relational. It's got to be life on life. Uh, it, it needs this for the, health, the church to be healthy. And then right after that, he talks about slaves in verse 9 in chapter 2 and then moves on. And you can see the rest of his letter talks about the church's impact in the society. This is how we influence the world. And he keeps using the term good works. The way that we are going to influence the world as God's people to be his representatives, to, to bear his image, is to do good works in these ways. So um, it can't be without this healthy church family, without the good leadership, without the relational discipleship. These good works come after all these foundational things. And today as we continue through the study, we're, we're in the third part of this section, the, the building of men and women through relational discipleship. And we started this the last time we looked at this letter in chapter 2. So I'm going to go back to chapter 2. It started in verse 1. 
Paul's writing to him, he tells him, but you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible, and sound in faith, love, and endurance. He starts with older men, and that's what we looked at last time. Then in verse 3, he moves straight into, but women. Women also. That's why he says in verse 3, in the same way older women are. So you can see how Paul is intentionally writing this, telling Titus this is what's needed for the church. Older men are to be this way. Likewise, in the same way, older women are. And that's where we're, uh, we're picking up with the older women in verse 3. Uh, so, this is how God has fashioned women to be. This is God's design for women. This is how He created women, His desire for women. Uh, for the men in here, you know, your, your mothers, your, if you're married, your wife, if you have children, uh, if you have daughters, this is the way that God has designed women to be, and you are a great part in God helping with that. Uh, you have a part to play in this, uh, but this is mainly going to be about women. I actually got a text from my dad this morning. We, we now, uh, we, uh, we put online, we put our services online, and the first one was online, and I forgot that. I forgot that we, we show both services, and I got a text in between services, and I'm like, oh no, it's my dad. I hope everything's okay, and I read, he goes, I don't want to tell you every word, but it was like, wow, you look like a cat on a hot tin roof. You're preaching to women up there. Great job. Good to go. I'm praying for you kind of thing. I was like, well, we're, we, we have to. We have to address the women. So um, it's, it's going to be great. You guys are going to love it. It's great. Okay. So how did God design women? Number one, first off, women were beautifully designed for holiness. That's how Paul begins this description of women. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior. Uh, women have a sacred character. That's what reverent means, reverent in behavior means. There's a sacred character that God has designed women to have. In the King James Version, the English translation from the 1600s, the way that they translated this verse is, uh, as one who becometh holiness... God created women to becometh holiness, uh, to be holy. It's, it's actually used to describe the conduct of a priest. The word for priest derives from this word for holiness. God designed women to, uh, uh, to be holy, to show the world what it means to be set apart for God, to be totally devoted to God. God designed women to live a life that is sold out to Christ. The very beginning of this passage, when Paul is thinking about women, God, God's really speaking through him. He wants women to know, I have made you specifically for myself in this way that you would be holy and show the world what does holiness look like? What does it mean to belong to God and to be committed to him? So women were beautifully designed for holiness. And maybe you could think of a woman in your life. Uh, I mean, there's women in this room 
that demonstrate holiness in such a great way that I've, I've personally met. I haven't met every woman in this room, I, but I've had closer relationships with some of you, and uh, maybe you could think of someone who has demonstrated holiness. Uh, which, which woman has demonstrated this in, in my life? So God beautifully designed women for holiness, but that's not all. Number two, God carefully crafted women to nurture. He designed them for holiness and to nurture. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers. Do you know the word slanderers comes from the Greek word diabolos? In Spanish, it's diablo. Does anybody know what that means? Devil. This is the word for devil. It, it describes a hater of God, and it's often translated as one who gossips. God didn't design women to gossip, to slander. You, you want to know why Diablo, the devil, why the word devil isn't the enemy's name. His name isn't devil. It's a descriptor. They're all titles, by the way. We don't know the devil's name. I, I know you might think, oh, what about Lucifer? What about all this? All those are titles that describe him. We don't know the devil's name. Devil just means this slanderer. He's an accuser. The way that our enemy attacks us is through lies, speaking lies, influencing lies, trying to get us to, to pervert God's word, to distort it, to not know what God has said, to think wrong things about ourselves, our own identity, to think wrong things about the world. That's the attack of the enemy, and this word for slander is where that comes from. God did not, did not create women to slander, to cut down, to gossip. Getting a little deeper into the idea, is it true that many women struggle with anger and yelling? Even a quiet woman in public, maybe at home, uh, may feel bad about yelling or losing their temper. Uh, you know, online, uh, I, w- I remember one Mother's Day, I was trying to prepare for a message for Mother's Day. And so I thought, I know, I don't need to talk to a bunch of dudes. I need to go online and figure out what women have written about this. I just want to hear what some Christian women have said to say. And as I got to reading the articles, a lot of the articles had this phrase, mommy guilt. Have you ever heard of mommy guilt? Uh, there's no articles on daddy guilt. None. There should be. I'm sure there should be. Zero articles on daddy guilt, but tons on mommy guilt. And there was this over and over, these Christian women talking about the guilt and shame they felt about losing their temper with their kids or yelling or all these things. And it's, it seems to be true in our nature that we, uh, we don't have the self-control that God designed us to have. Um, you know, God didn't design women to cut people with their words. God designed women for praise and encouragement. Paul writes this in the negative, not slanderers, instead of saying the opposite of slander is to edify, to build up. He doesn't say women are to be reverent in behavior and build up. He instead, on purpose, uses the negative with this description because he understands, just as we do, that our greatest strengths, our greatest design is where we find our strongest temptation. It would make sense if God designed women to build others up, to nurture them, to edify them. 
wouldn't it make sense that our enemy who wants to mar the image of God, he doesn't care about your personality. He doesn't care if women are this way or that way. What our enemy really hates is when women showcase the way that God has designed them to be. So if your design is intricate and unique in that he wants women to nurture, is, doesn't it make sense that the, the enemy would attack you with your words, would attack you and, and want to tempt you with gossip and slander and those, those things? When a woman builds a child, a husband, a friend up, there's nothing else like it. The nurturing words of a, of a woman. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1, every wise woman builds her house, but a foolish one tears it down with her own hands. This is in the book of Proverbs. This is written a thousand years before Jesus was born almost, likely, if not a little after. Were women building houses back then? Were there just more women uh, construction workers back then? No. I mean, women have always worked with their hands. If any farmers in the room know this, your, your wife helps you out a ton. But women build their house through their words, through their encouragement. It's remarkable to me how a woman's emotional intelligence and empathy are intricately woven by God to enhance their nurturing abilities. Women, you have a special way of encouraging and helping people when they feel buried by the amount of guilt and shame that the enemy tries to pile on top of us. Um, I think of my own situation. I have five kids that I love so much. I love my five kids so much. Uh, and when they get hurt, this happens every time, they get hurt and I'm home, I'm available, I'm there. I don't even have things in my ears, I'm not looking at my phone, I'm there. And they get hurt and I go, oh, and I just get down and I, you know, do the arms, the hugs things. And they run right past me. <laughs> and Courtney's like sewing up, you know, pants and cooking all at the same time. And she's like doing all this stuff. And they're like, mom. And I'm like, what am I, chopped liver? I love you. You know how much I love you? I love you so much. Like, I think I deserve a hug. But they don't want me to nurture them. They don't want me to do that. They want mom. And when, when mommy, she picks them up and she gives them kisses and she holds them and they're like, oh, you know, I'm not even upset about it because I'm the same way, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? When, when I get hurt, uh, just recently, I, I had some horrible shoulder, neck injury somehow. I don't even know what I did. I, I think I woke up. And... Uh, <laughs> And I heard it. It's been like two weeks. I've gone to the chiropractor twice. He's, you know, sorry. He, we didn't even schedule another time. He actually thinks, sorry, bud, you need to go see someone else. It has been hurting me so bad. I can hardly, like every day, 24-7, I'm like hurt. And I have a male chiropractor. And there was a moment when he was like trying to encourage me, and he's super nice. And I just want to be like, I wish you were a woman, you know? Like, <laughs> I just, I want, you know, every man in here knows it. God is uniquely designed women for nurturing. And because of that, women are going to be uniquely tempted and attacked to not be nurturing. Um, and, and we read that. We, we learn that in the scriptures. We, we understand how the enemy works. So, the New Testament makes it clear. Women are carefully crafted to nurture and care for their loved ones. Uh, God has given you women a great calling. Men, uh, just a, a quick side word for you. 
If God has uniquely made women this way, what you say and how you treat them matters deeply to him and affects your wife. So if you treat your wife in an unkind, unhelpful way, you don't appreciate her words and her nurturing, you are taking the place of the enemy to keep her from wanting to be more nurturing. So whenever I think of a woman that is just so far from this nurturing aspect, sometimes I wonder, what have the men in her life been like that have just scarred and marred this unique design that God has placed in her? Uh, so men, how you treat your wife, your wife matters in uh, how nurturing they can be. Uh, and I know, right, we don't make excuses. Their sins are their own, but yours are yours, and you have a great impact on your, your wife's life. So God has called women to holiness and for building up, and also he lovingly calls women to freedom. God lovingly, consistently calls women to freedom. That's what Paul means when he writes, not slaves to excessive drinking. And you don't need a preacher to explain this to you. You know what this is. Excessive drinking. Uh, drinking alcohol, getting drunk, going to that. A lot of women, and, and women attest to this, a lot of women are shackled by fear and the desire to be in control. A as I thought of this passage, Titus 3, or 2, 3 through 5, if you were to look at the Bible studies that women have, just Google it, Bible studies for women, I guarantee you will find two words there consistently, fear and control. You'll also find identity, that's an issue, but this is all part of it, fear. And women can be gripped by fear, a, a, a struggle with control. Women want to be controlled. They, they, they want things to go such a way, you know, they get anxious when it's not that way. Do women not get anxious and get upset and get flustered when things aren't the way they should be and they kind of lose themselves, lose their identity? Fear and control. And when women lose this control and they're overwhelmed by fear, what do they do? What would any person do, male or female? They would go to alcohol, wine. They'd go to food. They'd go to drugs. Maybe they go to retail therapy, shopping you buy things because when you buy things you're in control it's something new so all these are responses and what God's trying to give us in his word is women God did not design you for a cage he's called you to freedom don't be enslaved by this um, if you go on Instagram or TikTok how many women are boasting about their wine experience and wine this wine that why is it because they're any less human than any other guy? No. God, when it comes to men and alcohol, I get so upset because I think you are ruining your family. If you getting drunk and overdoing it. You know what I mean. I don't necessarily think Jesus turned water into grape juice. My, the best study, and I've read John MacArthur's commentaries on it. I've read pages and pages. I've been to seminary. I've gone to a conservative seminary. I get the whole deal. People differ on this idea. But regardless of where you are on alcohol, every Christian should be on, we should not be getting drunk. When you get drunk, you are going against God's design and command for you, and you are losing what God has given you to be. And it's going to cause destruction. 
we have all responded, me included. We have responded to our burdens by going to substances like wine, food, painkillers, shopping, whatever. And this is where Paul brings up addiction. And what God is trying to teach us is that we weren't created to be slaves to sin. You weren't designed to be a slave. And uh, it's by our own choices many times that we bring ourselves into bondage. Uh, One way to say it, God called women to go to the Bible, not the bottle. Now, the same is true for men, but this sermon happens to be on women, so we'll, we'll stick with that theme. God called women to go to the Bible, not the bottle. The same is true for men. Paul wrote to the believers in Rome, Don't you know that if you offer yourselves as some, to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey? This is something they all understood. And we're going to talk about slavery next Sunday, by the way. Next Sunday, just in Paul's letter, he, he talks about slavery in verse 9. That's what we're going to hit. They understand the idea of slaveholding. And he says, you know what that's like. You make yourself a slave if you choose a master, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. He takes that concept and he says, and we can be slaves to sin, to our desires. We could be slaves of sin. But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over, and having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. God desires for us to give ourselves to righteousness, not to the flesh. He didn't create us for bondage. He created us for, for freedom. So women were are just as men, but lovingly called to freedom. And I don't know if I'm stepping on anybody's toes here. <laughs> I felt that way in first service. I'm like, great, I'm going to talk about them, and they're going to love it. Uh, if you struggle with this anger with identity, with self-control, with holiness, with food, with addiction, wine, whatever. You are struggling with this because you have a human nature, and what God wants to do is set you free in understanding you do not have to be enslaved to that anymore if you're a Christian. If you're a believer, you have the power of God within you to avoid that. Don't let a drug like alcohol take you captive. It will only chain you to a prison of regret. We chase every addiction for relief, a little R&R, but instead of rest and relaxation, it becomes ruin and regret. God's called us to freedom, not to slavery. That's what he means, not enslaved to excessive drinking. But that's not all. He's also specifically commanded women to teach. Look at verse 3. They, the rest of verse 3. They are to teach what is good. Uh, God designed women to teach to one degree or another. Whether you know that you have the gift of teaching, some women have this gift of teaching, God has designed you specifically to teach, but all women are designed to be teachers of good. It's actually an adjective, it's not an imperative command if you understand the grammar of this language. He's saying all women were designed to be teachers of good. They're meant to pass down and to show and demonstrate what is good. Um, at the beginning of November, uh, I, uh, if you know me at all, if you've been around the office, uh, uh, during, during the week, I have to do dishes here because I drink coffee and I don't like a lot of waste and I drink coffee every day. And I also have lunch here a lot of times and so I have dishes that need to be cleaned up. So I have to wash my dishes every day while I'm here at work. Uh, even this morning, I had to wash dishes. 
And so it's Thursday, and I know on Thursday there's a women's Bible study in the fireside room that I try to avoid. I don't want to interrupt them. I don't avoid them like that. It's just I don't want to interrupt. <laughs> but I, I was hungry. My dishes were dirty for different reasons. I had to go wash them. So I thought, oh, I'll just sneak by, you know, like a ninja. Well, <laughs> if a group of women meeting, it's impossible to, to, be, to go uncaught. So I get in there. I'm washing my dishes. The women catch me. Uh, and they start talking to me, and I'm like trying not to interrupt them or do whatever, and they're just so sweet and so nice, and they're like, oh, you should stick around for a little while. I'm like, I can't, you know, like I can't, I can't, and I'm like trying to wash my dishes, and then eventually a woman got a plate of food for me. Well, I didn't want to be rude, so <laughs> I was like, okay, okay, for the Lord, I'll do it, so I, like, I grabbed the plate. It was like a breakfast casserole. It was amazing. Anyway, I get in there, you would think it was for the breakfast casserole. It really wasn't. It was so refreshing to be in that women's Bible study uh, for a short period of time. I, I had to leave, and I told them that. But just to, just to watch the women in our church uh, love each other, and or they're committed to meet together, and they're, they're doing exactly what Titus 2, 3-5 is talking about. They're encouraging one another, and, and we have many Bible studies throughout the week. It's not just this one Bible study. Uh, actually, the women are winning, men, by the way. They have like so many Bible studies. They're winning by like 10. We have, we, we need to, maybe we need to catch up on that. Anyway, uh, but that kind of uh, dynamic, that environment that they create, a fellowship and relationship, that's what God desires for the church. And it was so fun to be in there and to experience that. Maybe it makes you think of Timothy in the New Testament. You know, Paul's letters to uh, Timothy, we, we have two of them. He writes to him, Timothy was a pastor at Ephesus, the largest church in the world at the time, second largest city in the world, and he's there ministering to these people, and Paul writes him a letter, and he reminds Timothy of something. He says, you keep faithful to the message you were taught by who? By your mother and grandmother. Your mother and grandmother had this profound influence on you. And you remember that, how they trained you up, they raised you. We don't know if Timothy's dad was a drunkard, a Greek drunkard. We don't know anything about him. But we know from Scripture, God wanted to make sure we knew that it was Timothy's mom and his grandmother that taught him and invested in his life and made a difference. I guarantee you, there is no way that his mom and grandmother knew the impact little Timmy was going to have when he was running around being a little boy, being a teenage boy, I bet you they never imagined that he would one day plant churches, that he would minister, that he would give his life to, to, to uh, planting God's churches in, in many places and being the pastor of the largest church in the world. You women have a great influence on the family, on your kids. God has called you to teach. He's called you to use that teaching Specifically, women are called to teach and train other young women. Um, I get this question all the time because, uh, because of when I teach about women and I talk about this. Um, I get the question, how come you, as in Jack and also Grace Community Church, how come we don't have women pastors? Because um, there's other churches that have women pastors. How come you don't have women preaching and teaching? And I said, well, I wish we had women teaching, but the reason why we don't have female 
women pastors, elders, is because the Bible says not to. That's it. That's the only reason. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, couldn't be more clear in the context of the church. Women were not called to be elders. And those are meant to be the teachers. But women are called to teach. And, and I've told my friends, because we've got even churches in town, we've got churches that I'm friends with, they have female pastors. And we don't do that here because we look at pastor and elder as the same office. And, and that just goes against God's design. But the reason why there are women pastors is because women shepherd and they care. A- and when you're, when you're confused about the role of it, you think women in the church were designed and called by God to minister and to care. And they are. They're even called to teach. They're just not meant to teach in the role of elder to the church. They're meant to teach other young women. They're meant to teach women. And, um, and those women that are pastors, they're Christian women that love God. They're not bad people. They're not enemies. They don't, they don't just rip up the Bible. They don't go through their day without their... They love the Lord, you know, many of them I've met. And they know that God's called them to ministry, and that's why they take it that way. Now, we don't believe that. We don't teach that here, that that's the way you're supposed to do it. One of the reasons is right here in Titus chapter 2. God designed women to teach other young women. And when I counsel with women that feel called to ministry and they also want to be pastors, they want to be teachers. And I asked them, I said, I think it's great God's called you this. Are you saying that, that God's called you to teach other men? Is that what you're saying? And they'll be like, well, I just think God has called me to be like what that guy does, which is the preacher. And I say, listen, God's called you to teach. It seems obvious. You've got the gifting. You've got, you love the Lord. Everything's great. But if you're telling me that you will only use your gift if you can teach other men, that's just rebellion. That's not a calling, right? I don't, I don't tell God, I'll only preach if I can preach to a thousand people or I'll only preach if I'll preach to these people. No, if you're a preacher of the gospel, you preach to wherever. You go wherever. But God did not design women to be in the role of elder, not anything against women. Our world is not missing more women teachers to teach men. Our world is clearly, obviously missing women who teach other women. If I were to be up here and be like, women, love your husbands. Uh, Okay, submit to your husbands. Uh, Okay, you know, I could tell you all the good reasons why, but in the depths of your heart, you know, well, your wife has to put up with you. And uh, I don't know if you understand it. But if you have a godly woman, just imagine in your mind's eye, there is a holy, godly woman who has the credibility she has loved her husband, even when it's hard, even when he's a scallywag, even when he's a roundhead, even when he's stubborn, even when he's smelly. If you have a woman that has loved her husband and then tells these other young women, this is what it looks like. I know it's a sacrifice. I know it's hard. This is what it looks like. This is how you do it. I could preach a thousand sermons on it and it wouldn't come close to that older woman doing what Titus chapter 2 verses 3 through 5 says. It would not come close because God designed women to disciple other women. Women need discipleship. They need someone that understands, that's been there, that experienced it. It It's just part of God's design. So, uh, now that I've made all the friends I could possibly make with that, uh, women are designed, specifically commanded to teach, and to teach what is good. And he tells us what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and love their children. 
this is not a command that women must get married or that women must have children. Some women can't have children. Some women are not called to marry. That's okay. A woman is not less holy if she's unmarried. Uh, Paul writes about women who are holy and devoted to God. The New Testament gives it over. It's even in the Gospels. Luke is the kind of the favorite. He really emphasizes this. There's plenty of single women, widows, unmarried women. Paul writes about them that are totally devoted to God, and they're using that. They, they're called to God. It's not a command that a woman must be married or that she must have children. But you see as Paul's writing this, he's thinking about the church. Most women did get married. Most women were having children, and that's the, that's the design. That's how God has created us. So encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. And uh, man, we need that. Women are so discouraged today to love their husbands and love their children. It's in commercials. It's in media, social media, networks. You, you don't have to turn on the TV or look online for very long to find arguments against loving your husband, against loving your children, to even kill your children, to offer your children up as an offering because you just can't do it. Th there are so many attacks from the enemy for women not to love their husbands and children. And women need older women to teach them this is how it is. This is how to do it. Women are to teach younger women how to be self-controlled. This is the same word that's used for men in verse 2. Uh, you know, if you remember, if you were here, keep your hat on, hormones, appetite, temper, to be prudent, to be self-controlled, to teach women to be pure. You're living for God. You belong to God. Older women need to teach younger women. Why? Because it doesn't come natural, right? None of us. We were all born with a sinful nature. None of us want to live pure automatically always. That's not ex true for any of us. So we need discipleship. Someone show me how it means to walk with Christ when I'm having the desires that are war within me, like Romans chapter 7. Teach me how to do this. They're, they're called to be workers at home. Uh, this is another one I get a lot of questions about. Are women only allowed to work at home? No. It's not a command that they must work at home, just like it's, they're not commanded to have children. God did, in this description, it's not an imperative that they, that they must work at home. The, the design is many women are going to be workers at home. Think of Proverbs 31, written 900 years before Jesus was born, so at least 900 years before this was written. Proverbs 31, women sold fields, they worked with their hands, they, they did things in the home. They were workers, and what Paul's saying is, women, don't be lazy. If you notice when Paul writes in the negative, like he says, be reverent in behavior, positive, not slanderers, negative. He's saying something negatively. This one, he's speaking in this way, workers at home, positive, meaning not lazy. God has not designed women to be lazy. It could be tempting if you're a woman and someone else is working to pay the bills. You don't have to do anything. No one has to see it. It's a temptation today as it was 2,000 years ago, as it was 3,000 years ago. It's a temptation for men without accountability to be lazy. And so Paul encourages them, if, you're, if you have a home, be a worker at home. Don't be lazy. You could be a woman that works out in the workforce. You could be a nurse. You could be a teacher. You could be whatever. This is not a command that you must work at home. It means if you're home, be a worker. Don't be lazy. God has designed you to be that nurturing aspect at home. Um, and it's such a beautiful thing. 
And then you skip down to Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 2. Uh, women are called to serve in the church. This is another way we know that, that God did not mean, and Paul is not meaning that they must work at home. Phoebe is a great example. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Centria. So you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever she may require, in whatever matter she may require your help. For indeed, she has been a benefactor of many and of me also. Phoebe is a lady in the church that had a ministry and she was traveling. She was going somewhere else to continue her ministry. God calls women to ministry. He calls them into service, calls them to do things. I have to say it because of our culture. This does not mean he calls women to be elders, and that is the only thing they're not called to be other than men, and that's so important to remember, but he's called them into ministry to serve, and Phoebe's an example. So God designed women for ministry, and he's also called them to be kind. Workers at home, kind. Uh, the word for kind that's used here is the same word for benevolence. It means to help someone and, and, and to be that kind of blessing to them as they cross your path. Um, I mentioned this first service, so I kind of have to this service. Um, many years ago, many moons ago, wait, no one, I bet this person's not even alive. I used to work at a bank so long ago. It was before I was married. I worked at a bank or when I got married. I worked at a bank and I used to work for this lady. She was my supervisor. And listen, I don't mean to talk negative. This woman was as mean as a junkyard dog. She, she was so mean. I mean, I've been around some mean people. I've been around people so mean. No, this woman, very mean. Uh, just, just so whatever. And I remember one time bringing it up to a, a fellow worker of mine, and I was like, man, I just feel like she's so mean. Like, on purpose. She's, and this fellow worker is another lady. She's like, well, Jack, that's just her disposition. She's just like that. That's her disposition. And I remember that conversation, one, because I had to look up the word disposition. <laughs> uh, that's just the way she is, in, in my terms, your terms. That's just the way she is. And uh, I, I remember that conversation and how really mean she was. And later on in life, I remember reading this passage, and I remember that disposition conversation. And I was like, well, that's not disposition that's disobedience. God did not design women to be mean. It's not a personality trait. God actually designed women to be kind, benevolent. That's the way he wants this to be healthy and, and fruitful, and that's what he desires. So, um, you know, if you're a mean lady out there, don't, don't, don't come to me. I, <laughs> I'm not the right person to, to figure that out. Uh, all I know is, you know, I didn't write this. God wrote this. Be kind. Be kind. That's what God desires for you. Be kind. You know in your heart of hearts, even if you're honorary, God has designed you and called you to be kind. And, and when you are kind, it makes a huge difference, huge difference in the people around you. And then Paul ends the description for good teaching from women in submission to their husbands. Now listen, this is not a mistake. This is not a coincidence. This is not a cultural, unique, just happenstance. God carried Paul along to write this in this way. 
when he's writing this in verse 5, I think it is, as he talks about, or the end of verse 3, teaching what is good, then going on, the first thing Paul mentions in verse 4 is women to love their husbands. And the last thing he mentions is for women to be in submission to their husbands. This is God's word. It's not a mistake. God knew the struggle and the temptation that his church was going to have. And it was going to be women were going to fight tooth and nail to love their husbands and to be in submission to them. Why? Because it's not easy. And the world and the devil is going to try to knock that out of the identity and the purpose for wives as much as he can. Because when women are living out what God has prescribed for them, uh, it changes the world. And Paul says that much right after he says, in submission to their husbands. Why? So that God's word will not be slandered. God designed women uniquely and specifically to bring respect and honor to God's word. You living out and walking with Christ is going to change. Your family, if you have one, the people around you, you are going to be a healthy and fruitful church. Part of God's design of showcasing his holiness to demonstrate the image of God. He made, a, he made them male and female. Male and female, he created them. He made them in the beginning. It's so clear that there are two genders and only two genders. And God has said so much in his word. And women are uniquely designed to do this in a way that men do not. Men and women together uh, demonstrate the image of God. And for women, as they, they follow this pattern, they make sure that God's word is not slandered. And uh, God designed women to keep his word respected. And, and I just have a note in here, this is kind of a nerdy study note. But if you look in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, he talks about the faithful messages taught and how important that was. Then in chapter 2, verse 1, he talks again about sound teaching. And then he ends this passage with women in particular so that God's word will not be slandered. It's so important to God that we lift up and honor him and his word. And uh, it can't be done without godly women. We need the godly women here. And I'm so glad to be a part of this church family. And, uh, and that's God's word on women. So I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for Paul, who with courage wrote to Titus and Timothy um, what you demonstrated through your life and ministry of honoring women and how women are uniquely used in ministry and in the home, in the church. Um, we need godly women who are teaching younger women what it looks like to be a godly woman. And so we pray for the women in our church. Would you lift them up? Would you fill them with your spirit? Would you encourage them? Would you, would you empower them? Would you give them the gift of teaching? Would you open their eyes to needs that, uh, that they can be a part of training other young women? Would you use them to help them as they're tempted and attacked by the enemy and the world system? I pray that you would uh, bless them. And I pray for the men in this room. Uh, sometimes we are the attackers and we are the ones that um, distort the truth of how you've designed women. I, would you use us to honor them, to see them as co-heirs of the grace of life, as, uh, as you said through First Peter 3, 
help us to honor them, live with them in an understanding way. Would you use us to uh, build up the, the women and the young women in our church? We desperately need each other, and uh, we need you to help us to live this out. We give this all to you. We thank you for your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.